0: Welcome to B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper, brought to you by True. For too long, B2B has lacked creativity and inspiration, leading to alarming declines in effectiveness and marketing departments being slowly devalued more and more within their organizations. We're here to change that by getting under the skin of what it really means to be a highly effective B2B marketer we'll be speaking to some of the brightest minds in the industry to discuss what they're doing to be a bit more, well,
1: Don Draper. And now, here's your host, Stuart Black. Joining us today on B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper is Michelle Goodall, Chief Marketing Officer at Guild, a platform for professional communities and networking. She's responsible for driving growth and business expansion of the community. She also has over 20 years experience in marketing, digital and communications, both client side and agency side, as well as consultant. In previous roles, she's worked with some of the world's most recognizable brands, including Unilever, the BBC, Viacom, DirectLine and General Mills, to name just a few. Michelle Goodall, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me, Stuart.
1: Firstly then, what does being a bit more Don Draper mean to you?
0: So I'm actually a really big fan of Mad Men. I bought the box set pre-Netflix and I think second to I May Destroy You, it's my favourite all-time show ever. And I think what Don Draper means to me is complexity. He was a really, really Complex character. He came from nothing. He never finished high school. He reinvented himself. He was a soldier. He was a cu- couple of salespeople. I think he sold furs and also cars. And he wasn't actually a very nice person. He was a terrible womanizer. He was a con man. <laughs> and um, like many people who work in advertising, a heavy drinker as well, although I think things have changed significantly. But I think what being Don Draper means to me is his fabulous loyalty to his job and also to his co workers. And also, I think at the time, he was really attuned to the really big societal changes that were going on in the three decades that the show covers. So from the 50s uh, to sort of the late 60s, 70s. And I think it's really interesting that he showed a really uncanny understanding of the societal changes, an understanding of people, their motivations, and also how to translate that into successful advertising, messaging, slogans, creatives. And advertising for his clients. So I think for me, Don Draper means being complex, but also being deeply understanding of society, people, and what they actually think, feel, and do, rather than what they say they think, feel, and do.
1: Bit of a challenge though for us to have that kind of complexity as we're living day to day, but um, uh, I think that's a great answer. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit more about Guild for those who aren't so familiar
0: with it? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the introduction as well. So, Guild is a, a platform, an app for building professional communities and also professional networking. Someone described it, and I always ask people, how do you describe it? Um, someone described it to me recently as a bit like LinkedIn when groups were still supported and active and you weren't being spammed daily uh, by BD professionals. Um, so, it's mobile first, it's as simple to use as WhatsApp, it's messenger based, and it's much more user friendly than Slack, which I think gets it about right. So, um, with Guild, you can create, Private or discoverable communities, and you can join groups that are on there already. So, there's things like digital marketing pioneers, or uh, the marketing society have their member communities on there. And there's an element of professional networking there as well, in the same way that you can on LinkedIn. So, again, you can have a personal presence, but also you can create and you can build private professional communities.
1: Sounds like a fantastic service. And you're responsible there for growing the user base. What methods have worked for you there so far?
0: So I think with any technology, one of the important things is um, you've obviously got to have your value proposition and also your positioning as well. But actually, fundamentally, uh, fundamental to technology growth is actually getting people to use the technology. So for us, it's been really important to get people to download it and use it. Mm. Uh, and so a couple of things have worked really well in terms of um, driving that user acquisition. First of all, I think the focus for us that we are um, you know, firmly targeted towards B2B and professional roles and also professional sectors as well. And we understand that every single profession, every single role, every single sector have things that are unique to them. For example, in marketing, we have things that are unique to us. In, in legal services, they have things that are, are unique to them different discussions, different debates, different topics that only your fellow marketers, lawyers, PR professionals or HR professionals or even procurement specialists would be interested in. So what we've done is to create uh, our own hosted communities of practice or expertise for these different roles and sectors where people can collaborate, they can come in and they can chat about very specific things. Um, Where there are gaps and these communities don't already exist, uh, then we've created our own communities again for these specific sectors, but also we work with amazing clients as well who have created their own communities so I've talked about the marketing society as an example of one of them. If you're a lawyer or a digital marketer, you're going to be able to find these um centaur run communities such as the lawyer or e consultancy. But also there are a number of other smaller communities as well that are much more niche, for example, special interest communities around people who actually work in law, but also work in the finance or the risk or the compliance departments as well. So for us, the real sort of key driver of growth actually has been, number one, creating the communities if they didn't exist already, and then secondly, working really hard with our enterprise clients to make those communities a success and to then acquire users on the platform that way.
1: And as you say, one of the main selling points is the value of those communities, which in turn can help build brands. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us how creating a community can help B2B brands grow?
0: So uh, I think what you've got to do and what we've done is we've looked at some of the problems that B2B marketers have. Now, if you're a consumer marketer, uh, you don't have any issues, um, really sort of understanding brand, brand sentiment, brand messaging, how topics change, how people are visually representing your brand, for example. So if you're Levi's or ASOS or even John Lewis, there are people talking about you on social media through consumer, um, social platforms. But that doesn't really happen in B2B, um, very often. And actually the platforms that people are talking about B2B brands tend to be, uh, walled gardens. Like LinkedIn. Mm. So, actually, Twitter, whilst will give you a, a nice proxy for some of those conversations and also un- help you to understand your brand uh, much more effectively, actually, most of the really interesting conversations go on in LinkedIn, which is this walled garden. So, the tools that you might watch, uh, use in consumer um, marketing, such as BrandWatch or Pulsar, simply don't work because Microsoft is holding on to that data. It sees value in that behavioral data, but that's really important to brand marketers. So one of the ways that you can get over that is obviously building your own communities, whether they're customer communities or any other form of sort of niche communities in B2B, whether that's advisor communities, partner communities, employee communities, where you actually hold the discussion and the conversation much more closer to you. Now, that means that you can track your brand sentiment over time. You can put stimulus in there. And it's a really good way to analyze conversations and shifts in brand sentiment And also ID shifting behaviors and understand how you might need to feed that back into not just your brand and your campaign messaging, but also your product and services as well.
1: Mm. So what are the core principles of building communities that B2B marketers in different industries can use?
0: So I'd say the first thing is purpose. Um, The best communities are launched with real clarity around objectives, audiences, And also the kind of interactions that you want to encourage and the kind of community that you want to create in the first place. Communities are not about broadcasting and broadcast marketing. It's genuinely about collaboration and also engagement as well. You need to think about bringing people together to achieve specific outcomes, not just for you as a brand or organization, but also for your members as well. I think the second thing is value. Um, you've got to have a long term long-term approach to community. you're not going to get success overnight um, and actually if you think about the best B2B communities out there there might be you know in some cases six seven eight even ten or 15 years old. So it's a long-term play, a bit like building brands as well. So to become embedded in your marketing strategy, your communication strategy, your product your service strategy, then you need to be very clear about what the value is, both for your business and also for your participants as well. The thing that people really, I think, underplay in community is the importance of having somebody who leads that community, a really skillful community manager, and they're going to be integral to any community success. It's a team effort, obviously, and as you sort of start to scale up your communities, you're going to need more people involved, but actually to have that real set of skills from somebody who understands the difference between community and social media is really really important as is having uh, obviously sort of you know senior uh, stewardship around this and also senior leaders involved in communities i think the next thing is to understand that community isn't just about engagement um, a lot of people set the wrong key performance indicators around uh, uh, community and they believe that it's all about engagement that might be true of um social media because you need that in order to be able to beat algorithms but actually Um, engagement isn't everything Uh, you need to obviously facilitate and nurture discussions but also um, people turning up and you know being part of your community and listening in some instances can be um, a a key criteria for success then another thing is is growth Um, you've got to think about the growth patterns of your communities as well Um, have a clear plan to uh, obviously sustain this uh, to encourage participation re-engagement And then also to replace those um, members as they go through their community maturity life cycle. And importantly, commitment. And this comes back to, you know, the very first point. Like brand building, community building is not a quick win. You need to think about the ebb and the flow of community, but you've got to be prepared to keep showing up, to keep building trust, reinvesting and demonstrating the kinds of interactions that you want to see from your community members and then you'll reap the rewards of those insights that you draw from your communities.
1: Absolutely. And some people have pointed out that there are parallels with religion when it comes to community building. Is that something you agree with? And what could we take from mainstream religions to help us build communities and brands, do you think?
0: So I think that's a really interesting comparison because all religions are built on some really foundational pillars. So regardless of you know which religion uh, you belong to or follow, the foundational pillars are kindness and generosity. So, in thought and word and deeds, uh, showing kindness to others, giving more than you expect back, and that's really important in communities as well. And also service. So, actually carrying out good deeds and, and spreading the word as well. So, what I would say, and what communities can kind of learn from religion, is is that actually the most important thing you can do is to set your purpose or your mission, set it out, and be really clear in terms of what it is that you're trying to achieve. So an example would be um on guild we've got a community called comms and pr pioneers and actually its sole purpose is set out as a sort of a community of practice it's to improve the perception and also to improve the practice of communications and public relations and you know what's really important is with a religion is that kind of shared philosophy and a shared sort of purpose or mission and it's really critical that hosts and members have this same shared vision mission and also ethos as well kindness generosity service and probably understand that there's a bigger cause out there to support and that there's mutual value in being a good person and doing things collectively um on communities Mm. and what you'll see also is um a lot of communities use things like rituals and iconography and and symbols and signs things that sort of make you feel be- that you belong as well so you know in religion it might be um clothing or jewelry or even a fish car bumper sticker a sticker so there are communities out there like self forces trailblazer that has obviously physical swag and then um you know kind of things that suggest that you are a, a valued member within the community as well so those sort of iconography and and also rituals things that happen in a community, are really important.
1: Mm, fascinating, and as part of that, belonging to your brand, belonging to your community is is a key element of that. What kind of role do you think that plays, and do you have any any examples of that?
0: So, belonging is really important, and, and I think this is where again communities might differ slightly from from social media. I think we've got used uh, as marketers to trying to beat the algorithm again and, and try to be broadcasting within social media, but community is, is all about creating this sense of belonging and this sense of kind of shared value. And belonging, norms and rituals, even the kind of language that people use to describe things, um, jargon, those kind of things are really important within a community. And actually, that also kind of plays to the idea, specifically in, in B2B, that niche communities are can be really effective it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, 500, 5 million in some cases. And, you know, with, again, with the, the Salesforce, the SAPs, the HubSpot communities, we're talking about millions of users rather than, you know, 20, 30 or 40. But actually, if you're in a, um, I don't know, an HR, you know, sole person in an organisation, you want to belong to a community that doesn't just talk about HR and HR practice and HR technology But actually, the things that you feel as a solo practitioner, you know, the unique challenges that you've got as well. And so, therefore, the idea that you are belonging and that there are other people like you can be a really powerful way to uh, develop a community, to start to go down those sort of semi niches within communities. Mm. So, I think it's everything. It's important not just to, you know, think about your purpose, to establish these norms and rituals, um, welcoming people into communities in the right way. But actually thinking about what you can do to actively make people belong, whether that's the taxonomy of how you create your communities, or whether it's the host that you choose, it's the language that you choose, it's the memes, it's the discussions, I think it's absolutely everything.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Um, And another important element of building a real functioning community is needing to find that critical mass. Um, You don't need massive, massive engagement, but equally a handful of people just isn't enough. So what advice do you give to brands about how to build that critical mass we're talking about?
0: So I think it's really important to establish critical mass um, because, you know, again, this is about addressable target audience. And if you go down that sort of very niche route, it actually might be 20 people where you've reached your critical mass um, in the larger professions, it's going to be significantly more. Um, What's really interesting, and I don't know if you, um, anybody's talked about the Dunbar number um, Mm. in relation to community, but actually um, Robert Dunbar um, suggests that actually in terms of communities, we can only really, Uh, think about 150 people and be connected to 150 people uh, to be effective. And that's, you know, social anthropology. But actually, I would say that there are some communities where you need more than those 150 to build that critical mass as well. In terms of building a critical mass, obviously you look at your addressable target audience as a kind of, you know, a a first thing that you do. But there are techniques that you can use to bring people into a community. Um, One of the best things that you can do is actually Uh, to handpick, to create beta communities, to create VIP communities, and to actually bring people along on a journey with you. Um, So I've done this for consumer um, brands, but also B2B brands as well, where you might take your initial 100 or 150 and say, actually, can you help us to establish the norms and the rituals and the purpose of this community? What are the kind of things that work for you? So actually to sort of test it out, and to create and establish best practice before launching publicly as well. so critical mass often is built you know pretty much behind um, uh, public sort of opened doors. Um, and then once you've established those uh, I guess good behaviors and norms within the community, uh, then you can go out and you can you know start to advertise, start to recruit through other means and purposes.
1: Let's talk about effectiveness. How do you split your budget between long-term brand building and short-term sales activation?
0: So Guild is in growth mode at the moment. For us, brand is really, really important and also user acquisition is important as well. So long-term brand building is my absolute focus as opposed to short-term sales activation. Although uh, obviously we're doing a lot of work around that in terms of ABM um, and also you know, amplifying sales activity as well. So Long-term brand building for me is, I would say, 90% of my marketing budget right now.
1: And which media do you think is better for sales activation and brand building for Guild?
0: So um, rather than media, actually, we're working through partners. We're working through a number of individuals and agencies and organizations that we have as uh, partners in this particular space. So sales activation, obviously, we're doing a a bit of work through ABM, through LinkedIn, LinkedIn through email, through uh, other channels, and also through um, specific partner media, for example, the likes of Memcon to try and reach membership associations and organisations. But short-term sales activation tends to go through those media. Uh, In terms of long-term brand building, well, that's um, digital advertising. Uh, We're looking to obviously extend into the physical realm, uh, looking for out-of-home activity um, when people are coming back to the office, And also working um, on native partnerships with media owners, equally working with them to build their own communities as well. So uh, there's an element of long term brand building through media partnerships, uh, through paid media, digital media, uh, etc. And also then sales activation through partners and also through our other channels.
1: Mm. And of all those channels you just mentioned, which ones have tended to work the best for you?
0: Um in reality, working with partners right. and working with those who are very very close to the application, I think you know the reality in technology is that uh channel marketing certainly is something that um you know we we sort of see from a saAS perspective uh as having um a, a lot of resonance and in fact um on guild, there are channel marketing communities where people are talking about this very thing.
1: Mm. So let's talk about creativity then. Uh, What's more important in your mind, the idea or the execution?
0: (laughs) It's a bit like saying, you know, which one is your favorite child, isn't it? (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I'm going to go back to Don Don Draper and actually say the idea. You know, the idea has to come from understanding people, understanding behaviors, understanding motivations, uh, tribalism, rituals, all of those things. Um, And I think, you know, what we've lost in B2B marketing is the germ and the inspiration of an idea that might just be crazy, but actually is foundationally rooted in good understanding of people. The execution, I think the reality is that we've probably got overwhelmed by data, mm. that we're not really sort of listening to our hearts, and we're not really listening to, I think, those things that some people would kind of categorize as weird. Um, I love people like Amy Keen uh, in terms of brand planning, where she talks about embracing your weird And, you know, actually, I think one of the challenges, particularly around the pandemic, is I think a lot of us B2B marketers have certainly been separated from the things that help us to create the idea, that help us to embrace our weirds. Um, You know, times are weird enough. But for me, you know, inspiration to get the idea is absolutely everything.
1: Mm. And what what role does um, creativity, the weirdness that you talk about, play in building the Guild brand?
0: I would say, you know, we do practice what we preach. Um, you know, the brand is building and the brand proposition and also uh, the value proposition is building over time. And that's one of the things that you can do with technology. Um, but embracing the weird actually for us has meant building communities and connecting to the weird and the wonderful as well. Mm-hmm. We have some fabulous people in our community. So we do have people like obviously um, Rory Sutherland, Sophie Devonshire, you know, these marketing greats. But actually, we have some really interesting people, social anthropologists, for example, people who have been sort of shut away in an office. And probably you would think that the least creative people uh, as far as kind of marketing and creative ideas are concerned. But actually, they often have insight that then can lead on to creativity. So actually, you know, we use Guild in order to be able to drive some of that creativity and, and to do things that I think other you know, brands and organizations don't do.
1: Mm, absolutely that's fascinating so knowing when to entertain to charm and seduce and when to cut to the chase and use rational messages can be quite hard how do you make those decisions
0: um can i be honest with you sure i think most startup scale-ups would say exactly the same thing that actually you make those decisions as you go along you really do find out what works over a period of time and that probably isn't what you want to hear or what anybody else wants to hear i think um entertainment charm and seduction absolutely have to pervade everything even when you're cutting to the chase because the reality is particularly in a b2b sale in b2b marketing as well rational messaging and also data as i've said before um, you know it's not going to push people over the line certainly when it comes to procurement um that's where you get down to the you know the rational but actually um pulling people through uh, the customer journey pulling people through the sales and the marketing funnel um, entertainment, charm, and seduction, I think has to pervade all the way through that. So, you know, how do we make those decisions? By looking at every single client, every single campaign, uh, looking at things on a monthly basis. And I think, again, being completely honest with you, not really unpicking it in a way that you would do if you had millions of uh, dollars for your marketing budget. My marketing budgets are significantly smaller. So um, a lot of this is, you know, sensing what works and also retrospectively and retrofitting, um, you know, where we where we did the right thing, where we did the wrong thing as well.
1: Right. So being flexible and being responsive and learning from the mistakes as well as the successes.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, there are a lot of mistakes um, in B2B marketing um, and <laughs> particularly, you know, technology marketing as well. I think the real challenge is not to not to be copycat, not to do things that your competitors are doing. Because then it's just, you know, the, the route to zero and the drive to the bottom. So, you know, certainly what we're trying to do and are we succeeding at the moment? Probably not, but that's what we're hoping to change over the next, you know, year or so is actually to really drive creativity, to drive the weirdness, to drive the entertainment and also the seduction as well.
1: So watch this space. Um, let's move on then to our rapid fire round. I want you to just respond as quickly as you can to the choices that I'm going to throw at you. Just don't think too hard from the gut. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Number one, advertising or ABM?
0: ABM. That works for me. That works for me on the other side, you know, as a buyer. Um, so ABM, I'd say.
1: Logic or magic?
0: <laughs> magic. More magic, please.
1: <laughs> Brand building or lead generation?
0: Brand building long-term, like community, it's something that you need to put effort and focus in over a very long period of time.
1: And an easy one now, what's the problem with B2B right now?
0: I've touched on this. It's way, way, way too data-focused. Of course, we need to use data. We need to use that in a way that helps us make the right decisions. But actually, I think data is in danger of um, usurping creativity. It also is really important to drill into this really deep human behavioural insight that you can draw. And I know that I've probably overdone this in this interview. But actually, um, data for me is, you know, the very unstructured stuff, mm. those conversations that are just bubbling under, as opposed to what everybody is talking about right now. So I think the problem with B2B is that we, we over focus on data, we lack creativity. And also what we're not drawing upon is deep human behavioural insight. Mm.
1: Absolutely. So how would Don Draper fix the problem?
0: I think he would put the magic back in. Mm. You know, when I talked about him, and and I think he's a really complex character, he would put the magic back into this. He understood human behaviours and how those changed over time. It was like he was sort of an intuit. And and also, he took a risk in his creative decisions as well. And I think he would certainly put the magic back into B2B marketing.
1: And if you could tell all CEOs to read one book what would that be?
0: So um, we're tech for good. Uh, we're an ethical business. One of the reasons why Guild was set up was uh, to counter um, you know, the, the sort of the drive for profit and the ad driven models in social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Um, so I would say read something on ethics. This was recommended to me by James Timpson, uh, CEO of uh, Timpson's, and that's Julian Richard's uh he's the founder of richer sounds the ethical capitalist so i would say read that book
1: fantastic and one final question do you have a favorite don draper moment or quotation
0: oh ho, uh remember i've watched everything so that's <laughs> really really difficult to say i would say this isn't a favorite moment or a favorite quote because you know you can kind of google those and you can see those but one that shocked me was a reminder that societal norms have changed and they change all the time and actually how far we've come in sort of, you know, 60 years or so. I think Don and his family were picnicking in this beautiful American beauty spot in the late 50s and they lay their blanket out and they had their food and they stood up when they finished and they literally dumped all of their litter on the ground. And I remember (laughs) just watching this and being completely horror struck by it. Mm. So again, I think for me, you know, he was a man of the moment, But also, I would imagine he would have been one of the first people to kind of change his uh, approach to littering in a beautiful spot in the future.
1: It's a good place to end it. Thanks so much for such an insightful and interesting chat.
0: Thanks, Stuart. I really enjoyed it. Communities are the future. And if you've not participated in a community, let alone set up or joined your own community, then now is the time.
1: So all it leaves me to do is just to thank my guest, Michelle Goodall, and to tell everyone, go check out Guild. I'm Stuart Black. See you next time.